This episode of Cell TV, breast implants, breast implant illness. Wait till you hear this story. Look, admittedly, I've done some past shows on this, but I had to bring you this one. Uh, I was on her TV show, and she just inspired me with her story and her recovery, which you have to hear. Now, man, don't not tune in, because we talk about a lot of pitfalls of why people are sick, getting sick, or can't get their life back in this show as well. But this is a show that you're going to watch and you need to share. Trust me, this is a big problem. And there's a lot of other types of implants and the materials used in these that we're all being affected by. You're gonna get all this information on this show of Cell TV. See you there. Welcome to Cellular Healing TV. I'm Ashley Smith, and today we are joined by functional and preventative health expert and TV host, Dr. Kate Seuss. She's here to talk about breast implant illness, particularly focusing in on the many types of implants, the different ways they can make you sick, drive autoimmune, and affect your mitochondria. And she will explain how to go about exploring options for a proper breast implant removal. So this is going to be an very informative episode. You can read more about Kate in our show notes and I'll let you to take it from here. So welcome Dr. Pampa and welcome Dr. Kate. All right. Well, if I call you Katie, it's because I <laughs> met you and we have a relationship uh, because I was on your show. Uh, yes. your show, right? I mean, what, you, know, you have a great TV show. Thank you. From pain to purpose. I mean, it's come out of your story, which we're going we're gonna to talk about here. Gosh, you know, I, I did. I mean, I, I just fell in love with you and your message because of you know, your story. And we had a great show. Matter of fact, we'll put the link of the show that I did on your TV show here because we had a, we had a great interview. You asked such great questions. And you were like, did, did I ask good questions on that show? Because I felt out the lodge. I'm like, you asked great questions. <laughs> well, you're, you're definitely uh, in a different league, but I really appreciate you coming. And I do think the topics you spoke on are really relevant to what we're discussing today, breast implant illness, because there's a large portion of that, which is detox, and it also involves heavy metals. So. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're right. And we're going to talk about that. Look, th this is a subject um, that it's funny when we, when we met, me, my wife, you, and a Dr. Hank, where we were out to lunch, and you had said, yeah, well, you know, I, I had a, a doctor. I'd love to bring you on some of my things, but I had a male doctor talk all about this, and my, my breast implant women group got very mad. <laughs> so, right. like, yeah. They were very upset um, when Medical Medium launched his breast implant illness, I guess, webinar or podcast that he did, and then that correlated with advice and I think things he was selling, but would help it and they were very angry. I mean, um, for one, that he was selling to them and they felt targeted um, and that he's a man and that they said that he has no idea what it feels like, which I didn't have such a strong, you know, anger at all. I thought it was kind of cool that he, that it was in, in such a mainstream um, yeah. outlet. But I did understand after reading their responses why why they feel that way. And, and even with me, like they have, they have questioned me in the support group a few times when uh, people found out I was a doctor um, 
uh, who, why is there a doctor in our group? What are, what are her intentions? Um, or, you know, that I spent time working in a plastic surgeon's office. Was there a conflict of interest? But I had to defend myself and explain. I was in the support group before I even became a doctor. Um, I had breast implant illness before I went to medical school, to chiropractic medical school. And it's the reason why I became a doctor. So yeah. I kind of- Pain to purpose. Yeah, you know, and, and that's- <laughs> That's it. You know, I mean, male or female, and, and I get females who don't want to hear from me or another male necessarily about the subject. However, um, I, I think that really when you own something and you have the right to talk about it is when you suffer from it. And, and I always say that gives me my authority to talk about neurotoxic illness. Suffer. You know, years of study, didn't do anything for it. You know, suffering with it and now, have, you know, having gone through it, have the authority to approach the subject. Likewise, uh, tell your story. Uh, you know, you went through a really, I mean, I have to say from your bio, now I read your more intense bio, you were a wrestler? I had no idea you were a wrestler. You were, I was a wrestler. I was, you were, we didn't even talk about that. What we class did you No, I was like, we talked about in high school. No, um, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, was, I did martial arts um, almost all of my childhood. And then in high school, started wrestling when I was 15. I wrestled all the way through high school into college. I was really good at it, um, you know, and uh, like made all American and um, yeah, I have a like strong athletic background and I stayed pretty athletic into my late twenties. So when I had breast, in, when I first got breast implants um, and started noticing like one of the first things I noticed was muscles, uh, sore, like a really intense muscle soreness that was not going away in the same and interval. How long, I was how long after the breast implants? Yeah. So it was about nine months after I got silicone breast implant that I started having really full body, like obvious, scary symptoms. Um, and if I had symptoms prior to that, I'm not really sure because my lifestyle was not very healthy. I, you know, I, I, I was burning the candle at both ends with work and I was also drinking a couple nights a week and not paying attention to what I was eating, you know, the way it is now, of course. So so um, there might have been insidious symptoms that snuck up, but then just the catastrophic like collapse happened after about nine months of yeah. having them in my Okay. So. Yeah. And, and that's uh, part of what I was going to ask, kind of this progression, you know, kind of tell the story how it progressed, because obviously, like most, you didn't think it was the breast implants, am I right? No, I had no idea. In fact, um, part of the reason why once I, <laughs> so anyone with, that has experienced this or has dealt with an, a similar disease um, knows that you kind of, if you do a survey of your lifestyle from five years from when it kind of started before and then later, it, your life just changes. So, I mean, it becomes so much smaller, like as your bedtime is earlier, and you're sleeping longer and you can't do things that you used to do. So in a way that there's, there's benefit to that, which is that everything slows down. Um, at least in my case, things were very fast and then they became very slow. So it made it very clear to me that I needed to start assessing my life and what I really wanted and what I wanted long-term for myself. And, um, and, and it was during that time that I decided I wanted to pursue a career in health. And I had always been very interested in medicine. Um, in fact, when I was an art major in undergrad, I did all of my like senior art installation projects about health topics and about plastic surgery and medicine. And just, it was just so funny. Um, when I asked those professors for letters of recommendation for chiropractic school, they were like, we are not surprised at all that you ended up doing this. But in any event, um, I, I chose chiropractic because I thought I had a musculoskeletal problem because my whole body was aching. Right. And I 
and I went to my my allopathic doctors and I and I was told that I was normal you know they did my labs and they said that I was normal and there was nothing wrong with with, with me um, in that regard and, and in the time I I was thinking about those as different things like the musculoskeletal system is different than the internal medicine system which is actually not true as we know right. but at the time I was naive. And so I went to chiropractic school pursuing a solution and a cure to why I was in so much pain and why my muscles were hurting so much. So Right. Yeah. So, I mean, hurting muscles, I'm, you know, one thing, but then obviously it led to typical neurotoxic illness, right? I mean, I'm just oh, yeah. sleep problems, the massive fatigue, the other issues kind of let's, let's pull some of those symptoms in because sure. if I'm a, a woman watching this, you know, I want to know, is this me? Right. So that's another thing that happens. There, there are so many symptoms that can manifest that could be unique to that person because what we're doing when, when you put something in the body that's in the body 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that is toxic. It's clouding your epigenetic environment. So whatever predispositions you have, those genes have that opportunity to express themselves, right. the negative genes to turn on disease processes, which might be different from one person to another. Now, with that being said, there are commonalities across breast implant illness women. And, and in my case, I call myself um, an SOD2 category patient because this is this, and I've seen this because I've worked with so many women and I've looked at all, many of their genetic reports. A lot of these women have gone the extra mile to get genetic tests done because they've been on this search for so many years to find out what's wrong with them um, without help from from their healthcare provider. Um, so in the SOD2, which is the mitochondrial presentation patient, um, you're not having an autoimmune disease turn on. So you might not have the typical autoimmune symptoms, which would be like joint pain, um, different uh, antibodies showing up in your labs, um, swelling, like this intense swelling. But you might have really bad muscle fit. So you'll have all the mitochondrial based symptoms, which I'm sure you could elaborate on as well, um, because that's where the heavy metals are affecting, right? Um, so for, in my case, it was, it was full body pain. It was, um, that would come from, from a variable stressor. So it could have been because I worked out too hard. It could have been because I walked to the store. It could have been because I was stressed out. It could have been because I got in a fight with somebody. It could have been emotional. Mm -hmm. um, I would ache everywhere. So kind of like a fibromyalgia concept. Um, I was having neurological symptoms before I changed my lifestyle. So when I was still doing the things I was used to doing that never caused neurological symptoms, like not sleeping enough, drinking alcohol at all. Um, I would get very, very bad neurological symptoms, which I was able to get kind of under wraps when I got really healthy, um, you know, but like a swimming upstream type of healthy. Right. Um, <laughs> um, I had, I had on and off like, like puffiness in my ankles. Um, my face got puffy, um, a lot of fatigue, a lot of need for like, like a tremendous amount of rest. Um, you know, foggy thinking, heavy, heavy head, um, weird reactions to things, uh, like sensitivities to things that I hadn't previously been sensitive to. My GI became very problematic. Um, it made me susceptible to like getting a gut infection that wouldn't go away. Yeah, I mean, so like every symptom that you've described, that, that was me too, right? Meaning those are very I mean, common neurotoxic yeah. symptoms. And yeah. You know, so and were there any that were, you mentioned maybe there was a few that are really kind of specific. Yeah. Um, if a woman told you that had breast implants, you know, here's my symptoms, you know, it's like, okay, she could have amalgam illness, she could have a lot, but 
those symptoms, what are, are they? Well, again, I'd like to bring it back to the mitochondrial model patient because it's something that not a lot of people are talking about and they've been talking about autoimmunity since the 90s because that's something that's in the FDA fact sheet for silicone that anti-nuclear antibodies are associated in one in 300 women within three years, um, which the critics will attribute to lifestyle changes after getting breast implants, which I think is ridiculous. Oh my like, gosh. Really. But uh, say that statistic one more time though. I want people to hear that. So each, every single pharmaceutical device that exists has an FDA fact sheet, which is public access. So you can find it online. Um, you can find it on the FDA website. Um, in my, my particular type of implant, which is the, men, it was the, I'm not going to say the name of the company because I'm trying not to, <laughs> make it a couple lawsuits, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um, so, you know, in, in the silicone implants that I had, uh, the fact sheet, you know, it has complications listed. So that could be like bruising, um, swelling, infection. These are things that happen when you have surgery. And then they just happen to throw in that list anti-nuclear antibodies, which as we know is a, is a marker for connected tissue illness. Yeah, and then they say autoimmune, autoimmune connective tissue. It could be lupus, it could be another type of joint connective tissue, usually um, something like lupus. Um, in one in 300 women within three years, because that's what the research has done. Now, it's also important to point out that in the studies done, they excluded people who had autoimmunity. Pre pre who are had pre-existing yeah, autoimmunity. Those are the people who would be most likely. Or so answer questions with family history of autoimmunity. So they were already trying to get those people out of the study and they still ended up finding one in 300. So hypothetically, if they added them, I wonder what the number would be. Has anyone came up with um, a... I think that's where we're at right now is that we're trying to call for more research because that's the biggest problem. Like even all, almost, so many plastic surgeons are getting on board now um, with the concept that they make people feel sick, but everyone's in the back pocket is, well, we need research proving that it definitively makes them very sick before we can really say that we won't do them or something like that, um, you know, because the FDA has said that they're safe. So that's where we're at right now. And the FDA did have um, a meeting, you know, a couple months ago where they were discussing the cancer that's linked to predominantly textured implants, but they did call for, I think they're black box labeling textured implants now. Um, they've been definitively linked to a rare type of lymphoma that's only in this breast implant patient. It hasn't been seen in any other type of patient. Um, and that was based on a population study done in Finland in 2011. I, I want to say 2011. So we're a little behind yeah. <laughs> um, getting the memo on that. And, and textured implants are most commonly put in women who have mastectomies because they remove all the breast tissue and they think that the texture feels more natural. Um, so a lot of the plastic surgeons are like, we don't even use textured very often. Well, I have a handful of patients that are mastectomy patients who had textured implants for that very reason. Um, but how, in the FDA, but in their language, even in there, they, they wrote a letter, an open letter to doctors, and they said, be aware of this type of camp, this type of lymphoma in, in all breast implant patients. So that means if you are thinking about explanting and you are concerned about cancer, you need to test for that type of cancer before you let them cut you open because you don't want to spread it if you have it, right? Yeah, that's we'll talk more about explants and <laughs> solutions. That's, a, that's an important subject. Well, you know, you kind of alluded to the fact that, um, you know, certain genetic types, they get even more, more sick faster. But 
is are, are breast implants dangerous for everybody? Hmm. Well, so in the in the community of women, um, there is an answer to that question. And the answer is yes. Um, they believe firmly that every single person who gets them will get sick and it's only a matter of time. Now, from my perspective, you know, I think about people, you know, there's that, there's always a story of some grandparent that smoked and drank their whole life and lived to be a hundred years old and you know never had a problem and i think about the analogy between consuming things like cigarettes and alcohol and i think about the fact that even when you are an alcoholic you still sleep for eight hours a night and give your detox pathways a chance to whereas with these it's 24 7 exposure and i agree i i agree i mean uh it's it's one of those things that gets you one way or another. You know, and it's very complicated. It's like amalgam fillings, right? Um, I believe yes. they're bad for everyone. Of course they are. They're leaching mercury. Now, how, you know, how much the body gets rid of other exposures, stressors, all play into that. But when we look at it carefully, we know it bioaccumulates in the brain. And it's just going to get you one way or another. And the problem with mercury is different parts of the brain are, you know, cause different symptoms and not necessarily attributed to the filling. So the dementia, the Alzheimer's, the chronic fatigue, whatever. We can go down the list, but it, no one goes, oh, it's these, <laughs> right? So, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the breast implant, same thing. You could have something. Go ahead. I was, it's exactly like, like amalgams. And it's funny because in, like, in your case, you were not sick until your amalgam was removed improperly. Is that right? So yeah. I mean, if you had a week before, if you had asked me if I was healthy, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, looking back, my bucket was filling with mercury. You know, what I mean, it was just kind of up and down. Taking them out incorrectly just overflowed it. Right. You know, but same with breast implants could be. Exactly. So what I what I see a lot is women who are not really feeling bad until they go to replace their implants and they go in and that capsule which has formed around the implant which is in a way encapsulating a lot of like neurotoxic chemicals heavy metals mercury lead um, aluminum platinum which are all in breast implants um, some the body will wall that off right and so in some people the amount coming out is not enough to cause like an obvious sickness um, right. until until they cut. So the way most plastic surgeons do a replacement is they cut into the scar tissue capsule, pull the implant right out of the capsule, leave the scar tissue capsule inside of the body, and then put a new implant in. And they think that that scar tissue capsule is beneficial because it adds volume. And they also think that it's completely benign. But it, and then they and some of them even go so far as to say that the body will reabsorb it, which is which is factually inaccurate. The body will not reabsorb capsule tissue. So another thing that we see is women who explant incorrectly with surgeons who do not remove the capsule or lie about it or whatever. Um, some cases it's just tragically adhesed to the rib cage and they actually can't get it out without putting the patient in danger. Um, in those situations, some of those women, they don't feel better. They have the same symptoms because they basically have a sponge filled with chemicals sitting next to their heart and lungs and their vagus nerve. Yeah, and I've run into that where women go, I've gotten them out and I didn't get better. And, and typically it's this not removing the whole capsule. Um, now, I think on your website, uh, you have a list of doctors that you feel are doing it correctly, am I right? Because that's what I would be asking if I was a woman that was considering getting these out. So I, always, 
I always defer to the support group and they have a extremely exhaustive list in every city practically in the country right. and they are so diligent and there's a team of women. They've started a nonprofit and they, it's like a full-time job for them. Um, and again, like my focus in practice is more on just dealing with chemical toxicity. It's not so much like trying to address this directly because it's complicated and, like, and it, I want to be fair to the community. Um, so what's it? So yeah, well, should, give us that uh, resource, please. Right. Um, what is it? So it's, okay, so it's Healing Breast Implant Illness by Nicole and her Facebook group and her team. You know, they have I don't know, like 80 or 90,000 women in the group. And then she has a great website that she's dedicated a lot of time. Her husband is a medical doctor um, and they've spent a lot of time uh, putting together like comprehensive resources for yeah. free. So healing, some people just download the Audible on, uh, on these podcasts. So healing breast implant illness. By Nicole, yeah. By Nicole. Yeah, the Nicole part's important because there's a couple other groups that- And we, how do you spell Nicole spelled differently? So spell it. Normally, N-I-C-O-L-E. Yep. Okay. Um, all right, great. Yeah, so uh, we'll, that's a great resource though. I mean, knowing that there's doctors in every state that do this right because I've already found that to be a problem is when it's done uh, incorrectly. Right. Obviously, it could lead to more sickness, um, but it could be, you know, you don't- getting well okay so what are what are all the problems uh with breast implants i mean you kind of you know you talk you threw out heavy metals you can talk a little bit more about that you sure. tossed out that it turns on genes um epigenetically triggers genes of illness so we know that and but talk talk more about that so um i think it would be helpful to go back i love talking about the mitochondrial model because again it's not something, I and mean, we just recently learned about what all these genes might be meaning, right? And so for me and my own journey, it, it's, it was just like a, a slow process of learning these details about myself and then putting all the pieces together. Um, and, and again, when you have this mitochondrial disadvantage where your body is not able to remove mitochondrial waste the way it's supposed to. And, and the way I like to explain that is you, you're all, most of your cells are doing an ATP cycle. ATP makes energy. Every time you make ATP, you make metabolic waste. And then your body has enzymes inside the cell that remove the metabolic waste. And, and that's, that's a good thing because if, they, if those enzymes were not there, the cell will um, kind of like, to simplify it, like fill up, bioaccumulate um, free radicals. If we can say that. Oh, yeah, I, I talk about a lot about that. It's here's the analogy if, if you have a fire in your fireplace with the damper closed, you die of smoke, right? Your house being the analogy for the cell and the fireplace, your mitochondria making energy, it gives off smoke that you have to get rid of. When a yeah. cell builds it up, boom, right. bad stuff right. happens, genes are turned on. Right. Right. So so in my, so it's a little, it's like layered to think about it. So in my case, I have, I have a mutation on SOD2. That's the enzyme in the cell. It stands for super oxygen dismutase 2, which means that its job is to break down super oxygens. Super oxygens are those metabolic waste products of making ATP, right? Energy. So when you, when you have a genetic predisposition to have less of that enzyme and that gene gets turned on by the bad epigenetic environment, then boom, you're dealing with an SOD2 situation. Now, 
do you have to have a mutation on SOD2 to have heavy metals come in and inhibit SOD2? No. So even if you don't have that mutation, you could still have mitochondrial problems. That's but in big. my case, yeah, right. I, I didn't have, I don't have the mutation, but my gosh, uh, mercury really fouled up my mitochondria. That's for sure. But it definitely is worse. And then some of the things that we see, like in patients that manifest when their cells start to die, their cells start to apoptose because they have so much bioaccumulation of waste, they don't have enough SOD2 to, to remove it. The cell will die. You have more cell death. You have less mitochondria. So there's one reason why you have less energy. You can see this in type 2 diabetes patients. If you look at their if you look at their cells under a microscope, you see there's far less mitochondria, okay, for a different reason. But less mitochondria, less energy, less cell receptors to uptake hormones like glucose. Okay. So in my case, I was pre-diabetic at 29 years old as a vegetarian. Um, which I changed uh, that diet, but um, I was a student, so I was pre-diabetic. I was I was exercising, I was eating healthy, I was doing all these really healthy modalities, trying to feel better, and I was pre-diabetic. And and my and the, the doctors were like, we we don't have any idea why you're pre-diabetic. Well, now I have a theory about why I was pre-diabetic at that time, and I and I think my theory is that it's related to SOD2 and it's related to cell death. And I've seen this in other women that have SOD2 and in, this, in a similar situation. So um, it's not research. It's a little bit anecdotal, but it's something that I'm spending a lot of time putting energy into trying to create right. more research around, which I, anyone who's interested in helping me with that, please contact me. So why, why do these uh, breast implants have heavy metals? Oh, okay. Well, that's a good question. So when breast implants first hit the market, many, many, many years ago. Um, silicone was, came from uh, Dow Corning. Oh, um, well, I guess that's public record. Um, silicone was, the, was invented as a pesticide. So it, it had a, because of its, it, the stickiness, right? Um, and then it started to be manufactured for devices and they found, it, they found after time that it would become very, uh, um, it would break apart in the body. Um, so it was not cohesive enough. And so all of the lawsuits in the 90s, which inevitably led to silicone being taken off the market, um, there were a lot of trials. There are court records from those trials that have leaked. So we've seen some of the documents. Like we know that they, there were a lot of companies manufacturing implants. They were all getting the silicone from the same company. Um, and and there, was, there was corruption and there was covering up. And a lot of these women were getting the, these implants were breaking apart, and when the silicone starts to mobilize through your lymphatic system, it's very difficult to remove. Okay, so you're talking about lifelong problems. There was money paid out. There are rumors that there were there are trusts there are trusts set up that up until even a year ago we're still giving out money to women who explanted, and it's mysterious and we don't know where the money is coming from. But we there are rumors that it came from some of these original lawsuits in the '90s where Dow Corning had to. Again, I, I'm speculating. So I'll, in any event, um, they took silicone off the market in 1992 for everyone except for mastectomy patients. It was off the market from 1992 to 2006 when two companies, which are the two companies that manufacture it now, ma manufacture implants now, were the only two that did their studies. They presented it to the, to the FDA. The FDA agreed, let them put them back on the market. The way they made the silicone not break apart was by adding a lot more chemicals and heavy metals. 
Okay. So we're even seeing in the most new one, which is like the memory, or I'm sorry, not the memory. It's, I think it's called the gummy bear, the gummy bear, which is the newest, best implant. Um, that they'll say you can run it over with a car, you can stab it with a knife, it doesn't break. Okay. But, and that's supposed to be a good thing in their mind. But it's not if you're sensitive to chemicals and heavy metals, which most people are. <laughs> most of our bodies don't run very right, well. So it has even higher levels, and that's right. what keeps it such in this uh, gel. Okay, got it. No, I mean, it's been said that like, you know, well, implants are only bad when they leak. And then I've heard experts, one of which I interviewed on the show, saying all breast implants leak. What do they mean by that? Right. Okay. So um, there's something that is described in the FDA's language as gel bleed and um, implant sweating is what most plastic surgeons refer to it as. So the idea is that the silicone um, secretes its contents out of the shell. Now, in some people, that might be totally encapsulated in a way where then it seeps out of the capsule more insidiously and less um, causes less problems. Um, the tricky part is like the more healthy you are, typically the less scar tissue capsule you have around your implant because the body will break down that scar tissue when your body's working effectively. So in the more unhealthy women, we're seeing these large, thick capsules. Um, they're not leaking, they're probably not gel leaking as much chemicals. Um, but there's also women who have like paper thin capsule tissue. So in their case, you know, you have, imagine you have paper thin capsule tissue and you're doing infrared sauna every day because you want to feel better because sauna makes you feel better. This is what, this is what I was doing before I knew. Um, you're exacerbating gel bleed. Um, you're causing more of the contents to sweat out. So you're, you're effectively mobilizing more of them. So I, I've advised women against infrared sauna when they still have implants in them because it's a potential to heat it up a little deeper. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, of course, the FDA has said that they tested the contents of the sweat and that there are clinically insignificant levels of heavy metals like platinum. And I have no idea how they were able to determine. Well, I mean, just because it's on the sweat, that doesn't mean it's not going systemic in absorption. Right. right. So, um, yeah, that's an, that's an absurdity. I, you know, I mean, that's tell you what it says on the FDA website. Yeah. It says that because they didn't address it. They said they've tested the contents. I just don't know how they could replicate the experience of being in the body for many years or the different levels of deterioration based on the different type of immune system of the person. Right. Like we're all we all have these unique bodies that are going to attack the implant differently. Right. And that's yeah. what's happening. Your body is attacking anything you put inside your body your body is going to try to wall off and, you know, eliminate, but. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just something foreign in the body, especially something toxic and foreign, the body knows and it creates problems from there. That's why, you know, even when we look at what we're putting in for a tooth, something like ceramic being glass and, you know, very inert, different story. You know, when you put something in like titanium, Mm, you know, you're raising the immune's awareness, um, you know, no doubt about it. But when it's completely encapsulated in a bone, less reactive than when it's in the mouth near saliva, all these are factors is my point. And when, when you're dealing with breast implants, you're talking about something that's very easily accessible to the bloodstream and therefore immunity. Absolutely. And I agree with you. Thank you for it. I think I misspoke when I said anything foreign, because you're right, we are finding um, new devices that are made out of biologically compatible materials like zirconium um, in the in the mouth implants and I wish that I wish that we would explore these because 
breast implants are by far not the only device that cause these problems. I mean, we see, we've seen these problems with hip implants and, you yeah. know, uh, silicone is not only used in breast implants, it's used in, in other types of implants too, like if in, in penile enhancement and, um, you know, uh, pacemakers, uh, IUDs for birth control. So you have to think about these things, like especially if you're an autoimmune patient, um, especially if you have like the right genetic alignment. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. It's when you put anything foreign into your body, you need to look at what that material is. You need to look at the, uh, the safety data on that material and you need to consider your own general health too because, you know, one more thing, could send your bucket overflowing and trigger that gene of autoimmunity. And we see it all the time. You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many, you know, women end up figuring out that it was their breast implants. And uh, um, I, no, no matter what, it, it's a factor. And no matter what, you have to consider it if you're not right. feeling like yourself. And like anyone who, we haven't talked as much about autoimmunity, um, but I do feel that there's so many autoimmunity resources now that I try to focus in on the other stuff because I feel for the population of women who are searching for autoimmune markers and not finding them and still feeling very bad and wondering if it's in their head because that's what, that's what they tell you, that it's in your head. Um, I, I, anyway, so back to the autoimmune population. Um, I just totally lost my train of thought. We were yeah, you were just saying about the, the autoimmune. If, if we didn't talk a lot about autoimmune, but some people, they're looking for a marker. They don't right. have it. Right. So if you have autoimmunity, which you can really, really impact through diet and lifestyle changes, mm -hmm. um, it's, in my opinion, impossible for you to to mitigate those circumstances and turn off autoimmunity when you still have breast implants inside I agree. Body. No, I totally agree. I can tell you that just with every autoimmune. Um, maybe it's not breast implants. It could be a hidden amalgam filling, a, a, a hidden infection in a cavitation. As long as that's there, you can't turn it off. Uh, you may make some improvements, but right. the best diet, the best plan, supplements, whatever it is, you won't right. turn it off until these, that stressful source is gone and breast implants you know, being one of them. Okay. So what would your advice be to the woman watching this? Okay. Th here's the battle, right? And this is where, you know, I could get in trouble, but <laughs> you know, there's pressure here, right? There's social pressure, maybe pressure from their spouse, maybe not. Um, maybe just the fact that the, you know, insecure, from the way they look. Everyone has them, you know, so I'm not, you know, shooting arrows here, <laughs> you know, but again, so how do you deal with this, right? How do you deal with, okay, this is maybe making me sick, but I don't know that I can deal with the insecurity of this. Uh, give me an answer. Yeah, and, and that's a common thing. And it's very hard, especially after, um, so the cool thing is that the field of plastic surgery exists for the enhancement of beauty. And like, if you have concerns about how you look, that's kind of like what they're specializing in, right? So the fact that over the years, the pharmaceutical companies have infiltrated the plastic surgeons to get them to push implants is sad, um, but it's sort of changing. And so many plastic surgeons who do have a passion for beauty and have a passion for aesthetics and wanting to help you achieve your goals um, have other 
like tools in their toolbox um, other than giving me breast implants. And if you work with a good plastic surgeon, like that's their specialty. Like they have all kinds of lasers and, and radio frequencies and things that can tighten the skin and they have techniques like fat transfer. Although if you're very sick, you know, it's complicated. You know, work with your, work with your um, internal medicine or functional medicine doctor in conjunction with a plastic surgeon, if you have certain goals and make sure that you're cleared for something like a fat transfer surgery at the same time of explant, if you're very sick, could be a bad idea. It might be a better idea to separate those procedures. Um, but things like stem cells, new technology that we're inventing every day. And as soon as like our perspective and goals shift away from implants, you know, the same problem still exists that you're unhappy with A, B, or C and you wanna change it. Um, our, our, our society will start to, to meet that call and provide solutions. Now, that's like a really straightforward answer. I mean, I think that there's also like a spiritual answer and like emotional and like, you know, if you're, if you're with a partner who's putting pressure on you to look different, like that's its own issue, right? Like that's something you need to address separately. Um, if you're feeling like, unattractive you know there's you, you have to learn um I, i'm working more in like the the science and the medical side um but there's a lot of emotional healing that sometimes needs to happen um and 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 if you if you are young and you haven't had children it's, it's complicated to get a breast lift but if you've already had children and you're finished you can lift your breasts and I you know I've seen so many before and after photos of breast lifts with the implant removal so explant with a breast lift and they look so good like they look great I mean you have a little bit more scarring but there's ways you can manage the scars so I don't um, know I mean lasers and all types of different yeah. things yeah even yeah. Massage, diet like certain supplements like creams like and so it's no reason to be afraid of going forward with explanting if you have an intuition that that's what you need to do. It should not be, there's so many resources, no matter what your issue is, um, there is a resource and there's a way to heal and fix it, so. Yeah, no, that's good. There's different things today, you know, like you said. So, um, you know, don't, don't be afraid. How long, how long after you got yours out did you start to see some uh, your life change and you know, what, what, what did that look like? So that is probably one of the hardest parts of this process is that there, we had this idea that as soon as you remove them, it's a magic bullet. And, and it's interesting because you'll understand this. Um, you'll understand this from a cellular level. When women have the implants in their body and then they have the surgery, usually the very same day, if not the following day, you can see dramatic changes in like the clarity in their eyes, in the brightness of their skin, um, they look like almost like this cloud has been lifted. I, and we see, we share these photos and see them and it's so amazing. But then what ends up happening is they start to go through their healing crisis and their detox process. And like all of those chemicals and heavy metals, which are stored in tissue, which maybe for like a 24 to 48 hour period, like the body is dealing with the burden of the constant like ground zero. Right. So you immediately take that out. You feel much better maybe like even just for a day and your skin and everything, you just look better. But then your body starts dumping all of the stored things. Like, especially if you have that gel bleed, right? So your body is dealing with the gel bleed every day. 
especially if you have a rupture, like we didn't really talk about the differences, but you know, you could be a ruptured silicone patient, you could be very, very sick, but you could also not have a rupture and be just as sick. So it doesn't mean that you have to have a rupture to be sick, but if it is ruptured, that's a problem, right? Um, that's a problem and in, in for a couple of reasons, because it makes your removal harder. But, um, but anyways, uh, you start going into this detox process, your body has been storing whatever it couldn't process, right? your detox pathways only have so much capability um, that day, right? And the next day and the next day. So it's doing the best job it can. Whatever it can eliminate and deal with, it's going to store into tissues. When you take away the major burden, the major thing, the body starts to think, okay, I can start dumping. So, so sometimes you could feel really, really bad. And if you don't have proper support, um, if you're not following a good diet, if you're just explanting, expecting that to fix it, it, it might, but it, it really might not. No, it's, it's just like amalgams. When the amalgams come out, there I always there's this little honeymoon period where people go, oh, I feel bad. And then they start not, and the immune system starts upregulating. The body starts dumping, and then they don't correlate it to that because they thought that helped them because it was a little short period, um, little honeymoon period of symptom relief at best. You know, but only to come back when the body starts letting go. And, you know, that's why, you know, cellular detox, whether it's breast implants, amalgam removal, cavitation, yeah, the detox is a critical component. You know, it's getting rid of the source is one thing, but getting rid of these metals that are bioaccumulated in your nerve tissue, your brain, the neurotoxins, you have to get rid of it and you have to do it correctly. Right. And what I've, I've been seeing a lot of, even in, not so, a little bit in myself, but especially in some of my patients is like, they learn about breast implant illness and they get it and they understand and they explant. And then, and then it's like their mind has not, was not previously open to all of these other concepts. And then they start realizing, oh my God, like I also have amalgams. Like I have all these amalgams, like Dr. Kate, like, are these a problem since my breast? I'm like, yeah. So we, um, a cavitations, you know, things like that. So sometimes Explant is the first step in a, in, a, in a long health journey that has been a long time coming and a lot of problems have layered, okay? So um, all of a sudden, starting to treat your body holistically, starting to understand yeah. that your body is it's, it's years. I mean, I still do cycles. I know you're mastering cyto, uh, cellular <laughs> detox, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's years. We've all done it, right? Right. And, and you, you're, I would not like take away the, your opportunity to explain that there are some heavy metals that will not leave your body unless you like pull them out yourself. No, it's true. I mean, you know, these metals turn to inorganic mercury in the brain and nerve tissue and they're locked there for life. Uh, you know, unlike methyl mercury and some others who have a shorter half-life, these are locked in there for life. And unless you do the right process and use the right binders and chelators to get rid of them, you're not going to get your life back. You know, and, and again, I, I still periodically do brain phases, you know, yeah. because obviously my body doesn't do a great job of getting rid of heavy metals, but still it got me my life back and I'll, I'll never not. It's years, not months. And um, <laughs> likewise, right. You're on the same journey. I'm in the same boat. And I've, I've experienced a roller coaster throughout Explant, And I've, I've learned so much about dentistry that I didn't know that was not part of my training, no. but luckily, fortunately, I've been able to get exposed to these like world-class dent holistic dentists and oral surgeon partially because of you and um i'm so grateful because i've learned a lot too yeah. i've learned so much about root canals and like the harboring of infection and the gum and the jaw and the bone um 
I'm dealing right now with mold, mold personally in my home, um, which is a debate. But one thing I think we can agree as, as natural medicine doctors that when you're a little bit compromised, you're the person that mold's going to affect. So Absolutely. And, and that's an issue. It's like, well, if I can't live here, even though I'm getting, I'm so much stronger and everyone who knows me, and I, I've shared pictures of myself in, in school when I was studying and I was very sick and I still had breast implants um, and I still had a root canal, you know, and I, uh, I look like a million times better now, but I still, still not, I'm not where I want to be. I would not have a child right now, even though I would like, I'm ready in my life emotionally, I feel to have children, I'm not going to have children because I don't, I'm not going to do it when these teratogens are still in my body, right? So, so I'm on, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to get there. Yeah, smart because you'll, you'll, they'll inherit it, right? And you've heard me speak about that. Yeah. Look, it's a, it's a perfect storm, you know, and you have to keep on peeling back the onion, you know, no doubt. And we had that lunch today. I was like, you know, look here, look there. And, and it's because that we We've been through it, you know. It's once you're sensitive now to one neurotoxin, you become sensitive to others, and you won't get well until you uncover all of them. You know, whether it's a mold in your home, whether it's a hidden infection in your jaw, you know, whether it's another source of heavy metals, yet you have to you have to uncover them all. And right. if you do, you'll get your life back. And like something else that I think we should talk about a little bit is like the way mercury, especially, but also these other chemicals can like really cloud your nervous system, especially in explant. So what I see a lot of is women who've explanted and it takes time for your breasts to tighten back up and you know, you've, the skin is stretched and, and, and it can change tremendously over four months, six months, a year, two years, like the way they look. But, but in the initial phase when they're feeling maybe bad about how they look and then they can get so depressed and not even know why. And it's not really because they're depressed about how they look or whatever. Those are just little, little triggers. It's because of the chemicals and how they yeah. affect your brain that cause depression. And it's so sad and like cause suicidal thoughts and like, you have to like have support during that time and, and know if those feelings come up that they're normal. And um, we talk about dentist suicide rates and handling of mercury in their career yeah. um, and what happens. I mean, you could speak on that too, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, it, it's all related, you know, and, and if you're getting those symptoms after these procedures, it's, it's very, you know, normal, or I should say common, you know, it's not normal, but common. And therefore, again, it's the argument that you have to be doing the right detox on the backside. Um, otherwise, neurologically, yeah, you're going to be affected. Right. And sometimes it is also like just knowing and having faith that it's go- you're it's not always going to be like that, yeah. that it's not to get through it. And the really cool thing is that our bodies are so like regenerative. Like we have this amazing ability to recover from like the worst possible things. And, and we have all these resources and modalities now that we have access to. And I understand there's financial issues. You know, not everyone can afford to do fancy expensive treatments, but like, don't worry because I think that they're going to be really affordable, like quick, like soon, like stem cells have yeah. dramatically dropped when they came out like even two years ago or whatever we really started doing them um and it's gonna we're gonna have more things available and it's just important to stay um and you know researching and staying knowledgeable and having people you trust as, yep. as resources yeah absolutely wow what a, what a great show I, I you know this is gonna be one people y'all need to share this uh, show because you'd be stuck shocked 
at how much this information is not getting out there and how much it needs to get out there and how many people are sick because of the things we mentioned, even beyond implants. We, we talked right. about a lot of things. Right. Dr. Kate, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your story. Thanks for being vulnerable. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for inspiring our women. You know, I said it. You, you could do what I couldn't do. You know, so. Well, they can, you can help detox. That's for sure. <laughs> and I'm using your product now and I love it. I mean, I love the detox. Yeah. And I, I, I also like it because sometimes like going straight to more heavy chelators in the initial phases can be mm. really, really too much. For I couldn't even start chelating until like a year after explant, I didn't feel ready. I was scared. Like I was scared. Yeah, so you were beat up now, emotionally, physically, and everything. So detox during that window was my point. I would have been using cyto detox. Um, so yeah, and most yeah. people you know need to coach. I mean, I, matter of fact, folks on my website, coaching services, and it leads you to that because uh, it's scary yourself, and there's a lot of pitfalls. There's a lot of pitfalls. You know, you need someone to really walk you through it. So. Dr. Kate, thank you again, and thanks for having me on your TV show. We'll put those links here, uh, Dr. Kate's uh, show, the show that I was on, but uh, check it out because she interviews some great people, some fascinating topics around this and other topics, of course, and uh, thank you for all that you're doing in this area and beyond. And you as well. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. This episode was brought to you by Cyto Detox. Please check it out at buycytonow.com. We'll be back next week and every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. We truly appreciate your support. You can always find us at cellularhealing.tv. And please remember to spread the love by liking, subscribing, giving an iTunes review, and sharing the show with anyone you think may benefit from the information heard here. And as always, thanks for listening.